Alright, hello everyone. No, you're not hallucinating. This is not the voice of Mr. Joseph Donahue, who is the man you've come to expect around these parts. Uh, my name is Tom Curran and I'm the founder of Scouted. Most of the time I'm in the background doing editing and stuff like that, but uh, I've decided to face my crippling fear of public humiliation and jump on the mic for once. That's because we've decided to launch a new weekly podcast that will live here on the same feed as usual every Monday. Uh, the plan is to make this a kind of scouted roundtable of sorts. I wanted to find a way for the boys to hang out, discuss the week's big stories uh, without the usual intense focus, research and prep that Joe puts into his usual show. Hopefully we'll end up just having a nice chat, having a laugh, having a catch up between the team, that kind of thing. Um, obviously I haven't hosted a podcast in a really long time, uh, so the squeaky clean production that you've come to expect from Joe's show might be missing for a little while while I get up to speed. Um, I realized just listening back to this recording that I, uh, I sound really bored all the time. Um, I'm not bored. Uh, I'm absolutely enraptured by the things Joe and Stephen are saying, as I'm sure you will be. Uh, that's just my voice. I was born with it. Um, like everything with Scouted, I'm just jumping straight into the deep end and figuring it out as I go, so uh, we'll get there eventually. Does this mean that Joe's show is disappearing? Uh, no. Don't panic, all the Donna stands among you. Uh, he'll still be recording a couple episodes a month, and they'll continue to be deep, uh, informative chats with experts on a range of topics, so nothing's really changing there. Also, Steve and Lou are doing notebook exclusive podcasts uh, on a bunch of more scouted specific player centric stuff. So there's a ton of insight over there if you'd like it as well. I thought it would be fun to announce this new show with a kind of special episode where we look back on our Premier League predictions from the summer, laugh at how wrong we are, uh, or pat ourselves on the back in the rare occasion that we get something right. Uh, so that's what this is. It's longer than we were planning on making it or intend for future episodes to be so don't worry about that uh we've worked out a formula moving forward that we will stick to in future but for now i thought we'd just chat see where it goes um and yeah that's it thank you for listening to this ramble introduction thank you for sticking with us for close to 10 years some of you it's very much appreciated uh, i will see you next week positioned the um the the camera so that we can all see your leather-bound books and think that you're really smart and yes are they your books or are you keeping them for someone they just they're photo albums don't be ridiculous oh, Tom. Sweet. you can't read <laughs> got him <laughs> got him all right i'm gonna treat that as a start Hello, everyone. This is the first ever Scouted Weekly, a new format in which we talk about things about football. Today, I have Stephen Ganavis. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Tom. How are you? 
very formal today. Very formal. I'm taking this very seriously, mate. Um, I'm good. How are you? Very, very well. Good. How was your weekend? It was fantastic. It was fantastic. Another Juventus win, which is always uh, always important to uh, start the week right. Ange Ball wasn't so successful this week, but uh, now we're moving forward. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that shortly when we talk about um, some of the predictions that we've made that are horribly wrong. Um, and secondly, I have the reason I'm sweating so profusely this morning. The regular podcast host, Joe Donahue. Hello. Hello, that sounded more sinister than it needed to be. I'm going for the sinister vibes this morning, I've decided. I just want to set the tone early. I don't want you to be sweating bullets just in my presence. It's, you know, it's almost like I've got some sort of aura. There's, there's no aura here. Well, I'm just I'm just relishing the prospect of not having to edit this. I hear your voice and I get scared. I get um, very nervous about the fact that I'm not doing it properly. And the fact that I haven't hosted a podcast in about eight years. But it's all coming back to me. It's flooding back. Like that Celine Dion song. Start singing. No, you were singing when we started um, the the group call earlier. I wondered why you were... Uh, it's only dawned on me now that that's why you were singing that. Because um, I was listening to it recently and I thought, you've been on my Spotify. No, but I have been in a karaoke room with you recently. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't sing that there. That was strictly no, why I'm on Put it on the list. Put it on the list. Um, right, we're just going to start doing this, I think, because uh, if we talk about karaoke anymore, it's going to get dangerous. Um, so here's what we're doing. At the start of the season, we made a bunch of Premier League predictions over on scoutednotebook.com. Solid ad read there. Got it completely wrong immediately. Um, if you're not subscribed over there, please do. I'll be back probably in the middle of the podcast begging you to go and uh, put your emails in. Thank you very much. Um, but for now, we made a bunch of predictions. Uh, the first half of them were kind of your regular who's going to finish where, who's going to win, who's going to lose very badly. And then we went into a bit more detail on specific players, uh, who's going to be the young player of the year, who's going to be the most improved, things like that, um, which you know had a bit more of a scouted uh, flavor to it. So we're going to go into that secondly so to get things kicked off i think we should just look at who we predicted to win the premier league and three of us gave the same answer that's not true actually two of us gave the same answer oh it's more interesting than i thought all right so i and jake both said manchester city which is the correct answer as far as i'm concerned hundred percent, because they they're all coming back now. De Bruyne is back, and and uh, they got games in hand, and they're probably going to go on a run that, like they always do, of winning like fifteen games in a row, and it's going to be all over. Joseph, I didn't predict. I didn't submit my predictions in time, did I? No, um, no, you didn't. But looks I like, want, looks I like want a, you're really going to do it now. You get the benefit of an extra six months. Uh, no, because I'll still be wrong in six months' time, and it'll it'll make me look even stupider oh, than that. Play the game, bro. Yeah, and then at the end of the season, we'll all laugh at you. Okay, uh, I mean, I I can't really see past Manchester City. That there was there was sort of like 
at the weekend. There was just like a, an, an, an inevitability that they were going to, you know, as soon as Kevin De Bruyne came on, it was like, oh, so this is going to be a really enjoyable last 15 minutes. Um, I mean, I'm sure it was for the neutrals. Uh, but yeah, I, I just feel like, you know, they just, they're like a machine. They're just going to get wins like, like that's nobody's business. And I just see other teams, even though City haven't exactly been great defensively, I just see the other teams slipping up and maybe not having that, I don't know, the, the mentality that, that City just, just have in, in spades. And also, they've gone on a bad, they've gone on like a bad run that is kind of almost like unprecedented in like the last like three, four, five years. And they're still like right thereabouts compared to everyone else in terms of how many points they've got. And they're right in the mix. So once they do go on that run, like I swear every year in the back half, they just go on an absolute tear. De Bruyne is back and he's their most important player. So it's yeah hard to see them having a run as bad as they had in like the last like month or two uh, in the second half of the season, unless Liverpool maybe go on one of their you know big runs that they can go on sometimes as well. But I just can't see them keeping it as consistently as they have in the past with the with the team this year. So probably City. I went for Arsenal, so you can all laugh at me. I don't think they're going to win. Well, I was going to I was going to come on to that, but um, I was going to say I think. You know, we talk about this bad run of City being unprecedented and it probably it was not as bad last year, but they were still wobbly before Christmas. But Arsenal opened, I can't remember what the gap was, but at one point it was, you know, eight or nine points or something. And there's no gap like that this year. Um, so I think, you know, the front runners have failed to pull away in a, in a meaningful way. Um, particularly, obviously, Arsenal, who you predicted would win and so did Lou and he's an Arsenal fan so he was uh, back in his boys um, I don't want to spend too long on these predictions but I mean a few words on Arsenal uh, it's been a weird old year for us put my colours out there at the start um, I don't just seems like a kind of weird attacking rut where they just can't seem to find, like they're having to work for every single goal. Um, and it's kind of been like that all season. I can't really think of too many games where maybe in the Champions League a couple of times, but that they've gone out and gotten a, a bucket full and just kind of cleaned up. Whereas every Premier League game, they're just absolutely fighting for everything and everything. And probably, you know, some injuries up front haven't helped, but um, yeah, I think, maybe lacking a proper penalty box presence that will just give you some sort of defined number of goals that you can just expect to come. Like Harvard, you almost feel like he could go on a tear at some point, even though like there's probably no reason to think that he should, but like he's the kind of player that could get hot. But you could also just go 10 games where he can't shoot the ball properly and nothing's really going right. So... Yeah, unless they can pull themselves out of that attacking right. The defense is obviously so solid and the way that they maintain possession is kind of like their way of protecting the back line so well, but it's just ma- making it hard for them to score. Yes, I think, you know, there's been some weird talk from some fringe uh, <laughs> voices that Arteta should be under more pressure at the moment. Um, but I think, you know, I think the thing that's so obvious about Arsenal is how well coached they are across the pitch they almost seem overcoached and that going forward they they've 
lost the kind of fluency that saw them to score so many goals from so many sources last year. Um, so we'll see. I still think that, you know, I can't really think of a game other than the Fulham away game where they weren't clearly the better side deserving of a win. Um, it's just turning that into points. So we'll see. We will see. Uh, the top four predictions, boys. Um, I went with, <laughs> okay, I did a stinker. Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester United. Um, Stephen, you also had Manchester United. And I so did. did Lou. So actually, it's not that much of a stinker. A stinker in retrospect. Well, it's a collective stinker is what it is. That's, it's a that's that's wiped. black mark on our reputation. I was going to say that's that's wiped so much value off the scouted name. <sighs> well, you let's redeem ourselves. Like then. Going, you just thought that they were going to get better than they were last season, and instead they've just mm. either stagnated or regressed. Like last year, you could kind of say after the first couple of months where they were just really bad, they kind of got it together. They worked out that it was going to kind of counterattack a bit, and I thought they were going to build on that this on this season and kind of expand the way they played. But it's kind of just been more of the same. Plus, they've had some injuries. I've had Johnny Evans playing a bunch of games at centre back, even though you know he wasn't supposed to be even at the club towards the end of the transfer window. Probably haven't got as much out of uh, Rasmus Hoyland as I expected. Um, and then yeah, just problems everywhere. The Sancho situation, just nothing quite. Right. I think the Casemiro falling off a cliff a little bit has been also a massive uh, factor in the way that the midfield functions. So uh, I could see them maybe making a bit of an improvement. I think so much of the way they play just also like revolves around how Marcus Rashford is performing on in any given game. And he can be so hot and cold some days. He's just on it and he looks like a world beater. Then he can get injured or, you know, his form falls off a little bit and he can go on like a long drought where he just isn't influencing games a huge amount. And they struggle so much when that happens because he's basically just the source of everything that uh, that goes well in their attack. Yeah, often he does both extremes in the same game. Um, I mean, last night he scored an amazing goal against Spurs. But in the same game, he was like, so many of their attacks were breaking down every time they reached him, just loose touches and pulling it too wide to get a shot away and things. And he is, when he's on form, I mean, we spoke a little bit about him before we started recording. Like last year, I thought he was absolutely amazing for like four months, you know, um, just doing things that shouldn't be possible on a football pitch. And then he can't control the ball sometimes. So, um, and like a yeah. game against Spurs, so any... he should be licking his lips and going, there's going to be so much space in behind for me to just attack, attack, attack. So he should, probably should be getting more value than he did um, last night. Joe, any thoughts on the other United? The other United? You mean the original one? Are they more original than Newcastle? Is that what you're saying? No, no, I'm saying they were Newton Heath. At the same at the time that Newcastle East End and Newcastle West End amalgamated to create Newcastle United, um, I mean, tenth in the table. Uh, I mean, Anthony Gordon's been a revelation, but yeah, I mean, Europe's not out of the question. But I just feel like, I mean, aside from the the Derby win in the FA Cup this season, I mean, it's it's such a such a difficult one to to 
like pinned down because Newcastle have still beaten PSG, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, and Man City, I think, at home, obviously across various different competitions this season. You know, ordinarily, that's a great, great year. I mean, that's a great six months. But then you contextualize it with just, I mean, losing 3-1 to Forrest, Chris Wood scoring a hat-trick. That's just, I mean, it's not, it's not that... It's not that Newcastle lost that bothers me. It's the fact that we had Chris Wood. He was woeful. He then leaves and we think, right, we we kind of just clap our hands together. And that's it. Dust dust him off. And, you know, I'll, I'll be relaxing one day watching like the Premier League 100 Club or something or like best hat tricks or something on Sky Sports or whatever. And he'll be there. Like, he doesn't deserve to be there. Like He's not that good. Um, but we made him look like R9 in his prime. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a it's a tricky season, to be honest, and it's one of transition. I think a lot of the mainstream media is sort of getting like, oh, maybe Eddie Howe's going to be in trouble, but there's, I don't think there's any danger of that. Um, I just I just really hope that we finish above Chelsea. Um, that's, that's all I want, really. Uh, yeah, I can join you in that for sure, because that would be funny. Um, You'll be glad to hear that I've frozen Chris Wood out of my Nottingham Forest team on Football Manager. See, that's that's it. Uh, that's the desire and that's the desired effect that you want in your team. Chris Wood should be yeah. should be playing for Wellington Phoenix. This is getting um, worryingly vindictive. <laughs> Wait, that's what the gonna... round table is all about, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, relishing this, I'm relishing this new role where I get to you know exhibit a bit more personality than sort of my interviewer uh, persona and it's basically it's basically an, an anti-chris wood um agenda no i, I don't have anything so really against him but it, that, you're that using your privilege me. to beef poor um chris wood who's just trying I, his best i was gonna say we've already had charlie austin carl jenkinson emil heskey in the a-league i don't think we need any more washed up uh, Englishman coming down here, although Chris Wood is a New Zealander, but washed up Premier League players coming down here. Chris Wood can finish his career in Forest, and Wellington can Phoenix can can move on with the the young players that they've got. Chris Wood's got at least ten years left, mate. He doesn't have to do anything except <laughs> stand in the box, wait for the line to drop to him so he's not offside, and then jump two feet off the ground. He runs like he's wearing jeans, um, like. <laughs> You can't once you, once, you, once you see it, you can't you can't unsee it. It's just like it, it, he also runs a bit like 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 you know Forrest Gump before he gets his leg braces off. <laughs> oh my god! I've never noticed this, but I'm going to be watching he's, like a hawk this weekend. He's now. wooden. He runs wooden, and and you know what? Oh, that's he, he, oh wooden. Fitting. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, I, I mean Newcastle in general have have been. Uh, a great watch and sometimes an awful watch. Um, I think top half is still, you know, that that's still a success considering you know where the, where the club was three years ago. Um, but yeah, playing on several competitions, everyone getting injured. Like, you know, it's it's basically like spin the wheel. Who who's injured for six weeks this time? Um, yeah, top half would still be fine. I just think. Yeah, I think every everyone would have said after last season they would, if, you know, speaking of predictions, everybody would have put Newcastle higher than tenth at the moment. But um, yeah, 
that's that's enough. That's enough on the the OG United. Well, yeah, I mean, they are in our European. I believe everyone put them outside the top four, but challenging for um, the Europa League spots slash, you know, fourth. Um, so just to be clear, that's you think that's gone. I mean, how many points are they from the top four now? Uh, 11. 11. Yeah, that's Jesus. gone. Champions League is gone. That's fine. I think the only realistic uh, European football that Newcastle could get is Conference League. I think seventh is probably the, the ceiling that this team has this, this year. I'm just thinking about the idea of a Newcastle team playing in the Conference League. I, I think um, it'd be great. I'd love to go to... Um, you know, three Wi-Fi passwords in the group, um, like I don't know, Carabag and you know, <laughs> some some team from Macedonia or whatever. That'd be great. You're um, not, you've not, you're not been satisfied with Chris Wood. Now you're going after half of the Euro. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean it in an endearing sense. I genuinely think I'd love that. Like when you know when Villa played um, Zerinsky this season, I thought that looked amazing. Well, he's trying. You're trying to redeem yourself here, but I'm not sure the um, the people of Wi-Fi password two are going to be particularly <laughs> um, indeed. Um, right. Anything else on surprise European contenders? I mean, I'm pretty sure no one kind of felt Villa were going to be as strong as they are. Um, I think the only Steve, you didn't even think they'd be challenging for Europe. And everyone no. else did, so defend yourself, my friend. Well, when we're talking about European contenders, I had West Ham as a relegation battler in their sixth, so that shows you how much I know. Spoilers. Mm, yeah, I, I had West Ham sort of in my own ones that I, predictions that I did submit. I had West Ham nailed on finishing in the bottom half. Uh, so, so you did them, and you didn't predict, didn't submit, them. didn't submit. I'm, I was terrified. You just you're just trying to get out of doing this, having people make fun of you for being wrong. I thought you'd be used to that being a Newcastle fan, but um... no, I'm used to that by being a journalist. Um... Was <laughs> 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 uh, was the best? This is some internalized trauma right this weekend. So, sorry, said that you, again. You Tom. made a you made you made a pretty. From what I, could, I didn't watch a game, from what I could tell, you made a pretty um, oopsie call uh, on a foul this weekend, and you got absolutely dragged by m- most of the population of Leeds. I, I didn't um, realize there was 55 different ways for someone to tell you that you're terrible at your job and you're also blind. Um, so fair, <laughs> fair play to all of them. Uh, they were great. Uh, my favorite one was... What's the pick of the bunch? My favorite one was, are your eyes painted on? Like that's, I'm going to start using that in real life. Um, yeah, to be honest, it was, a, it was a two-footed lunge. He did get the ball, but I didn't have a replay uh, because my monitor wasn't working and I was about... A hundred yards away, so that's they had to make the big call. They're my mitigating circumstances, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe in future, if you can't see, <laughs> maybe don't say it. Don't make that's the a big red call card. On Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you could turn your painted on eyes to um, relegation battlers, um, I went with. Everton, Fulham, Nottingham Forest. 
Uh, and just to be clear, these are not the relegated teams. These are teams that are going to be struggling. We thought would be struggling at the end of the season. Um, so Everton, Fulham, Nottingham Forest for me. Uh, Jake went with Forest, Fulham, West Ham. Stephen, you went with West Ham and Everton. And Lou went with Palace, West Ham and Everton. So there's a lot of West Ham around here, boys, for um, a sixth place team. I feel like West Ham either like always just goes one of two ways. It just kind of everything clicks and Moy's ball like just starts popping off again. Or it's like last year where everything just sucks. But it's amazing how a team can just like be like, you know, challenging for European places, then be relegation threatened the next year, then be back up again. And then probably next year they'll be relegation threatened again. So, um, you know, they've committed to the bit. That's at least like the one thing they've got going for them is they just completely sign like every player that just is like big and fast or whatever, just PL uh, Premier League athletes. Um, and then Everton, well, I knew in advance that the point deduction was going to come in. So that's why I put them as relegation threatened. Steve Stradamus um, over here with his inside knowledge of uh, <laughs> but, the Premier uh, League. I think, I think they've kind of been struggling as of late. So that one could still be... They might have used all their good good form to counteract the point deduction and might turn into a bit of a slog for them. So uh, we'll see how yeah, that one, one goes. One win in five for Everton. But a good, um, I think, good re- revelation probably of the season for them in, in Jared Branthway. He had a good season at PSV last year. Come in and been as far as I am aware, right at the level for, for Everton. So that's a that's a positive for them. Um, a team that is down there currently that I don't think anyone saw coming. Uh, five losses in a row, I believe. Brentford. Um, worth a word or two on them. No um, striker. Because that's kind of gone a little bit under the radar. Yeah. Yes, and obviously Ivan Tony back this weekend, I believe, or next weekend. Yeah, I think it's soon. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of talk about him leaving, although it's January and uh, he's going to cost a lot of money. I um, can't see it happening. Anything? No. Anything else other than no striker going wrong with Brentford? Uh, probably conceding more goals than they had at this time in previous seasons. I think when you blend a bit of having no striker and it's a bit more of a slog to, to get easy goals and then you add your defense just falls off like 10, 15%, then that is what the difference is between being mid table and being in near the relegation zone. Yeah. If there's one way to guarantee you lose football matches, it's uh, conceding more goals than your opponent. <laughs> Always helps. Um, yeah. Right, we're I, just, right like, down I the think like, that's the, the margins that you're operating at when you're like between mid-table and relegation team. It's not like a it's a huge gap. So if you just have one little thing go wrong, it can be what the difference is between you know being at 25 points now or being 19 points. So, uh, speaking of being at the bottom end of the table, our predictions to be fully relegated and down to the champ. Uh, I went with Wolves. Sheffield United, Luton Town. Uh, I think there's going to be a theme here. Um, Jake went with the same. Stephen, you went with the same. (laughs) Oh, we're all the same. 
Okay, we all went with Wolves, Sheffield United and Luton. Um, I think two of those are fairly self-explanatory. Um, so two points here. One, we all thought Burnley would be fine. Um, and two, Wolves are much better than we thought they'd be. Um, I think we all picked Wolves after they just, you know, sacked their coach and they were in a yeah. complete mess. They hadn't signed anyone. Um, but Gary O'Neill has proven himself last season and now this season to be a pretty decent Premier League level coach. I don't think that they're necessarily amazing. Although they've all, they won three straight and that's like catapulted them from near the relegation zone to mid-table and that's kind of how close it is at the moment. Um, but, you know, 28 points at this stage of the season, they should probably have enough very surely to, to avoid relegation. But yeah, the other two, I think, I think with Burnley, I kind of just believed in the signings. Um, but it is a big <coughs> jump in quality, as you're saying with the three promoted teams all being in the relegation zone at the moment, a big jump up to, to go from championship to, to Premier League, especially if you're not putting Nottingham Forest levels of money into ensuring you can stay up. Yeah, I think we'll be talking about one of those signings shortly. Um, but well, just just on Wolves, sorry, Wolves have been really good at home. I mean, they beat Man City uh, at, at Molyneux, they beat Chelsea. I mean, it's you know, not as great an achievement as it used to be, but still. Um, Everton haven't exactly been bad this year. Uh, and Wolves beat them 3-0. Uh, who else did they beat? Spurs? I feel like they beat at Molyneux as well. So, and a lot of yes, that was... Yes, they did. A lot of that was without um, Pedro Neto as well, because he was out injured. So, fair play to, to Gary O'Neill. He's He surprised me. I, I would have had Wolves down there as well, um, had I submitted mine on time. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're loving this... This... Uh... Hey, hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Wolves and, and Sheffield United kind of uh, were joint for the most catastrophic summer I've ever seen in my life. Um, both of them kind of sold their midfields off. Um, I mean, Sheffield United, especially with um, Illiman and Dai. And then they sold um, Berger to Burnley as well. Um, Wolves lost. Ruben Nevers and someone else who I forgot. Collins uh, they and Raul Jimenez. Yeah. That's probably the other thing that's and worth noting is Han Quang Song has come along really, really quick this season. Yes. Um, Pep Guardiola's favourite forward. Yes, correct. All right. I think we're done talking about teams in general. Uh, now let's get to the scouted bits, which are the player-specific uh, predictions. Um, so we'll start with player of the year. I'm going to do mine last because I'm an idiot. <laughs> Jake went with Bukayo Saka. Uh, it was a Steve. You went with Haaland. So I did say if fit. So you said what? I said he will be player of the year if he's fit and he's been out for a fair bit. So I have excuses. Ah, and you also put in parentheses you had Harry Kane initially. I did. Uh, and Lou went with Mohamed Salah. So 
Oh, and, and mine, I went last. I went with Trent Alexander-Arnold. I don't think he's stupid by any means. In fact, I think he's been unbelievable this year so far. Um, I just think as a player of the year pick, he's probably going to go to... I mean, if Liverpool win the league, he's in for a shout, but it would still probably go to Salah just because his, his output is unbelievable. It'll just go to a player on the team that wins it. So imagine yes. if De, De Bruyne goes on a tear last second half of the season, would have put it past him. Yeah, it will be someone from C, let's, let's be honest. Um, more excitingly for us is our young player of the year category. Um and obviously, I believe last year, Haaland won both. Um, and so, Jake predicted Saka to win both and pointed out that he has two more opportunities after this year to win the Young Player of the Year award, uh, which is absolutely busted considering he's been first choice at Arsenal for about four years now. Um Steve, you went with Saka, Lou went with Saka, and I went with Saka. So, thoughts on Bukayo Saka's year so far? Just consistently getting better, I think. Just at least as good as last year, if not better. I don't see really any issues with what he's doing. He has his role now that he's very suited to, and he just keeps improving. It's just exactly what you want to see. Maybe not quite like... Mohamed Salah put the team on your back levels yet, but he fits in the team perfectly and fulfills his role to an elite level. So don't know what, what more you could really be asking of a, of a player his age. Well, Twitter knows what more it could be asking of a player his age, and that's to be better than Phil Foden, which apparently he's not. Uh, I'm not going to break out that discourse here. Um, but I do think Saka is a player who people talk about incessantly. Um and I'm starting to wonder really what he has to do to, um, to be fair, I think most people who, who know ball are like, chill, this guy's incredible. Um, but I do think his, the discourse around him kind of reflects, you know, whatever's going on at Arsenal at the time. Obviously, Arsenal's attack has hit a brick wall at the moment. Um, Saka's missed about three sitters in the past two weeks. Um, he has scored as well, I guess, but not even that kind of ricocheted off him. Um, but he's never like been a volume scorer. In, he's never been a volume scorer in his career. So I don't know why people are like expecting that of him at this point. It's like once he shows it and then he drops off from that, then I could understand like the criticism coming. But he's never been just like, you know, has he ever scored double digits in the Premier League? I'd have to check, but it would, would surprise me if he had. Um, so like Arteta was banking on Saka to be scoring a, bucket load of goals then I'd be a bit 14 surprised. last season and 11 the year before oh. damn it but still like that's Let's not see. you know yeah but it's still 14 it's like a you know decent winger return but it's not like Salah numbers are putting up 25 so yeah if you got and 14 that's probably got pens in it as well so he's also um, he's pretty much on pace to hit that again this season you know those both those years were 38 game seasons he's played 19 this year he's got six goals so if he replicates that in the second half, he's on 12, which is pretty much half of the course. I still think that's great for a winger. I mean, especially at his age as well. Yeah, I think his age is the key point there. People forget how young he still is. Like six, he's been around forever, apparently. Um, And obviously, 
the Euros are coming up this summer. Uh, another opportunity for him to perform on the biggest stage. Not that he needs any more of those, I guess. Um, breakout players, guys. These are more interesting because they're all different. Um, I went with Carney Chukwameka. Uh Jake went with Julio Enciso, Brighton. Um, Steve, Evan Ferguson. Bit of a slam dunk there for an easy pick. And Lou went with Ben Doak from Liverpool. So who do you want to start talking about first? Well, Enciso got injured, didn't he? So that's just... Yes, yeah, so I think I think that's uh, a, a, same with Chuck Wormecker as well. Yeah, Chuck was he was starting really well, but then he got injured too, mm-hmm. so he's just come back this weekend. Came on as a sub. Ferguson, I think, you know, what is he still eighteen or nineteen? Um, scored a hat trick against Newcastle. Scored a few other goals, but you know, probably not. Maybe exploded quite like I think a few people expected, but still been. Pretty good and a solid Premier League return for a guy that's, you know, 18, 19 years old playing as a, in the position that's probably hardest for a player that age to come in and, and dominate other than maybe centre-back. So, yeah, I know. What was, what was the last one? Ben Doak again. Like, just tough to get minutes. You're playing behind Salah. It's just, I think, all the talent is there. He shows every time he plays. He's so young as well, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's still, he might have just 17. turned 18. Yeah, yeah. he's a 2005. Um, yeah. So he's just behind Salah. Like that's just it is what it is. You, whenever you get an opportunity, you get an opportunity, and he, he's he's going to be he's going to be him. He just needs to wait for Salah to move on or retire or something and get out of his way, and then he will be very very good. He is him, Stephen Gonavis, twenty twenty four. Evan Ferguson obviously was our scouted fifty number one player to watch this year. Um, he's maybe not, like you say, exploded uh, at quite the rate that we thought he was going to after a very strong start to the season. Uh, Joe, any words on Evan? Um, well, he's another striker who scored a hat-trick against Newcastle this season. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll set you up for that one. <laughs> I mean, ball striking for his age, I think, has always been you know, above above average. Um, I think as well, you know, because of how young he is, Deserby and the options that Deserby has, um, you know, he hasn't needed to rely on him so so heavily. Which obviously, availability and minutes is is, is the biggest factor in these individual awards. Um, so if he had played ninety minutes week in week out, then yeah, I could I could see him maybe getting into that rhythm, ex- exploding as as you say. Uh, but he hasn't had that. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because. You look at how many young players at his age, and particularly with his body type as well, um, play relentlessly, and then at 21, 22, like their knee blows up or they, you know, they, they start having those these repeated sort of like posterior chain injuries. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's just he's just chugging along nicely, isn't he? And the the good thing about him is that whenever he does come back into the team, invariably he does tend to do something. Um, so yeah, I, I think we, I think we were still justified in making him number one for the scout 50 because you know, he, he was, he, he was doing really good things back end of last season and then started this season strongly as well. 
yeah, just to, to follow on from Dr. Donahue, I think the voting that we did was just after the hat-trick against Newcastle. So it can show you that the the impact when a player has a big game can get in everyone's mind and influence the outcome of these kind of polls. Yeah. So what you're saying is Scout is just a slave to recency bias. 100%. Yeah. Um, to be fair to Evan Ferguson, it is very, very difficult to break fully into a team that has Danny Welbeck up front. Um, that guy is uh, undefeated. He's got what? He's got six goals already this season. He got six last year. I mean... Oh, I don't want that to be misconstrued as me making fun of him. I genuinely love the man to death. Um, and I'm very happy that he's still doing bits in the Premier League. What a guy. Um, top goal scorer. This one's boring. Everyone put Haaland, uh, who is currently top. Although Salah is keeping pace with him. And I guess actually as a more interesting conversation, we could talk about the people behind him who are kind of keeping pace. Uh, there's a bunch of kind of surprising names in here um, that I don't think anyone would have predicted at the start of the year. Um, Dom Solanke has been unreal for Iriola's Bournemouth. Um Huang, as mentioned before, uh, Cole Palmer's doing really well. And Hyungmin Son, who obviously struggled big time last year. Um, although, you know, an attacker struggling under that Conte team is like, well, you could, even Danny Welbeck couldn't have done anything. A <laughs> um, few words maybe on Solanke, because we, we haven't spoken about Bournemouth, but... Um, I think we're all enjoying watching them. I think everyone was very excited about them during preseason because how much of a kind of tactical darling um, Iriola became uh, in Spain. Um, words on Bournemouth or Solanke in particular? I think on Solanke, I, I don't know. I just kind of always sense that this was, this was inevitable. Like he just needed to athletically grow into being a Premier League striker, which just takes some players longer than others. But like athletically he's like he's fantastic for the level, but it just took him some time. Um like he would go down to the championship, I believe, and he would score like a bucket load of goals and he'd come back up to the Premier League and it didn't quite happen. It was a bit a bit the same with Tammy Abraham at the start of his career as well. Did really, really well in the championship. Then had some like middling years. He was okay at Swansea, but not quite at the same level. And then kind of exploded when he got back to Chelsea and was scoring quite, quite regularly. Um, so Solanke, yeah, he's like dominated at youth level for ages, won an under-20 World Cup. Um, so this, you could see it coming. And then just Bournemouth in general. I didn't really know much about Iraola, but a lot of people that I believe in and trust said that he was good. So I had a good feeling. It was a bit touch and touch and go for a moment there at the start of the season when they were just losing every single game. But I think they had a pretty tough run of fixtures to start off with maybe a little bit unlucky as well, but it seems to all be going in the right direction now and they can carry this form for a bit longer. They'll be safe for another season pretty soon. And then you can start to build from that. They've also been pretty interesting with the moves that they've made in the, in the transfer market as well. So I think if they just keep moving in this direction, that there's some uh, light, at the end of the tunnel, moving into next season and maybe a fight for, for some some better things higher up the table. Yeah, I think we'll talk about some of those signings very shortly um, in our best value signings 
category. Um, the only other player on this list I really want us to talk about is uh, Cole Palmer, because from a scouted perspective, obviously he's a he was a very young player with very limited Premier League minutes to his name at City. Um, he left to join. <laughs> I don't know how you want to describe this Chelsea product project, but he left to join a project in Chelsea, um, a team where we've seen a ton of young players join and then just disappear and get crushed under the maelstrom of whatever the hell they're doing. Um, Steve, you've written about Chelsea pretty extensively, um, but maybe Joe first, a few words on Cole Palmer's kind of explosion into the into the headlines um because i don't think many i think people obviously rated him very highly i don't think anyone expected him to kind of be the the central chelsea outlet this early yeah i mean he kind of has taken on that mantle hasn't he um you know and, and a big part of that has been you know going straight onto penalty kicks i think he's got five this season mm. has he missed one yeah no um, i think it might be yeah, six has, even yeah it might be yeah, it might be six um of his nine Premier League goals. Uh, I think he's got four assists on top of that as well. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's been pretty much an output, mach- output machine um, and kind of has taken that that responsibility. They're, I think the thing with Chelsea is that they haven't, I mean, obviously the, the glaring thing is that they perhaps have spent all that money and don't have a Haaland or a, you know, a, a striker of, um, of that quality. Um, which obviously I know Steve has done a lot of work on um, writing about Nico Jackson. Um, but with Palmer, he kind of is the protagonist. And this was a team which didn't really have one. It was very wishy-washy. It was, we're going to sign all of these players, but, you know, okay, who, who who's the main man here? Who, who are we looking to um, when things are getting tough? And to be fair, Palmer, I did not expect him to hit the ground running this quickly with, with Chelsea in a, in a, in a, sort of a central role um, because I just didn't really see that, I don't know, that playing playing personality at Man City. Obviously, he's extremely talented, but, you know, you, I don't know, I just thought he was probably going to be another one who got swallowed up um, and, and spat back out by the project in sort of air quotes. Um, yeah, Steve, I mean, I don't, I don't know, what have you made of it? I think the thing that Palmer has going for him uh, ahead of some of the other Chelsea attackers, he's like to use the basketball parlance. He's a he's like fairly ball dominant, so gives him a lot of opportunity to kind of get into the game. Whereas someone like a Mudrik or Nico Jackson, um, a million others that they've thrown, Madueke, probably like a little bit more low touch players. So it can mm-hmm. kind of if they start being starved of opportunity, it's hard for them to like get themselves into the game. Whereas Palmer's at least getting on the ball quite regularly and making things happen. I think the penalties maybe do make his season look a little bit better than it has been. I think he's been good, but I don't think anyone in Chelsea's team has really been outstanding, apart from maybe Levi Cole over the course of the entire season. Um, but like they'd be happy. Um, still young, first season at a new team, coming in and, and really probably being their most productive attacker quite consistently since he arrived. So I don't think there'll be too many complaints from Chelsea fans about what Palmer's done, especially in relation to some of the other signings that Chelsea have made. We've revved the engine a couple of times and I want to now release that 
can you talk about Nico Jackson for a little bit? Because he's been a player that you've spoken about, written about extensively. Um, you wrote something for Notebook very early in the season about how Nick Jackson was not, in your opinion, yet ready to be a kind of central nine. And at the time, I think it was going quite well for him. And it was a little bit of a um, counter-programming kind of cool. But you, you've been vindicated um, because he doesn't look like a dominant nine at the moment. Um, you talk about a bit where how you came to that conclusion and, and how you think it's going for him so far. I think there's a couple of elements. There's firstly, he didn't really play like a huge amount as an out-and-out striker with um, VRL. He played a lot on the wing. Um, and secondly, or secondly and thirdly, penalty box presence is middling. I think he's he makes a lot of near post runs that I think make it hard for him to score. Uh, you can question if it's creating space for others in behind, but you know, I always feel like so many of the best strikers, maybe you might not get as many touches making back post runs, but when you do get them, they're really, really good chances. And then the other thing is just the ball striking. Like he is really bad at ball striking and it's, you know, you are getting, you like you've got the weight of the team on your soul, on your soul, uh, shoulders, as I should say, to score. When you get the ball, you need to be able to at least be consistent. And his ball striking is just like, he can just go anywhere. Um, people have been memeing it ever since he joined Chelsea <laughs> on Twitter. You see like videos popping up every time he plays about some shot that's gone into the crowd um and I, the other i think it's like a psychological thing for a team as well if like your striker that you're banking on to to you know propel you forward is getting chances and just f- fluffing them left right and over the bar um it could be just a bit demoralizing for for a unit so i think like that's that's probably the first part and then the second part that where i thought he'd be really good on the wing is because a lot of his on-ball stuff has actually been really good he's pretty competent as a carrier as a dribbler he covers spaces really, really quickly, he's rapid in transition. He's so fast. So I always thought that him as like a like kind of like a Martinelli style winger, high and wide, let him attack the box from a little bit deeper, could be a different a different look at things. But Chelsea's injuries, um, Amanda Breuer's not really had any impact when he's played. He's kind of been pretty awful, to be honest. Um, and Nkunku has been injured, so. I haven't really had a huge amount of options to, to shuffle Jackson around, but it'll be interesting to see if Poch starts to to fiddle with things a bit more uh, once in Kunku, although he's injured again, but if he can come back shortly. Because I think there was one game where he did play 30 minutes or so after um, I think Kunku came on and uh, Jackson went out to the wing and, and looked pretty promising for, for a little cameo. So I think it might be something that they uh, look a little bit a little bit more at. But... Um, it's just overall the Chelsea, the striker stocks at Chelsea, just it's killing them. It's really ruining their season, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not sure who's taken my favourite shot of the season so far. It's either the James Madison one that went out for a throw-in, or it's any number of uh, Nico Jackson shots. The guy, I just find the way. He, kind of wiggles his leg at the ball very but that's the thing sometimes. people are like memeing him like he's not a bad player he's there is like huge no. amounts of potential there the, but the ball striking is like a big one and if he can't like it, that, and it's a, it's a skill that's hard for players to work out once once you're a senior like it's all these motor skills and fine-tuned 
things that happens in your like adolescence and childhood that it's hard to retool once you get to this level. So that can be yeah a big inhibiting factor um, if Chelsea do intend to to turn him into a nine because all the athletic stuff um, is all there, but it's just adding that to his game. But it's just so hard. Well, speaking of players that joined their clubs in the summer, we had a best signing category. I'm going to do this one a little bit differently. Joe, if you, if I had a gun and I put it to your head in August... I would I, I would make sure that I'd, I'd sort of spin you around and then within the split second, the gun would be pointed at your head. My head is enormous, so you have well, exactly. to aim for yeah. it. It wouldn't take much. Right, so after you've John Wicked me and I'm now the guns turned on me, um, I'm still going to ask you the same question: Who would you have picked as the best signing of the summer in September? No hindsight allowed, or I will shoot you. Can can you narrow? Can you, can you, can you, that's very difficult with no hindsight um, to to think over every single signing. Can you give me? No, it isn't. Okay, hang on. Can you give hop in your TARDIS? Can you give me head back. the suggestions that the rest of you came up with, and I will pick the best one? But then you're going to hindsight. No, it. I'm not. I'm going to say which one I would have agreed with most. <sighs> All right. So I think was it Steve and I had the same. Well, maybe don't call. tell me who picked who, because Both. obviously I do have my favourites. No, actually, now I am going to do it because I want to know who your favourite is. <laughs> All right, Stephen and I, think very carefully about this. Stephen and I picked Yuri and Timber to Arsenal, mm-hmm. okay? Jake picked, oh, this is <laughs> Harvey Barnes to Newcastle United. <laughs> and uh, this is actually, this is my favourite one of all. Uh, Lou picked Andre Onana to Manchester United. That is my favourite. I mean... Because for, for yeah. comedy value, that's my favorite. Um, I, out of those, I would have gone with. Um, actually, I'd have gone with my own. So I just got you to read them out for no reason. I, I think I probably would have gone with James Madison um, as right. the, the the I don't know the, the best signing. Just because you know he he's been kind of crying out for that you know big six move for for ages and. Um, I just think feel like he adds something to that Spurs team in the hole that previously they didn't have. Um, yeah, uh, if, if it gone to head the others, I probably would have gone Timber. Gone to my head. Yeah, I probably I'd probably say Timber would be, be the better pick out of those. Yeah, so we should say that obviously Timber. That was a that sneeze. Was a, by yeah, the way. That was a sneeze. Yeah, and it wasn't me. Apologies. <laughs> it just squeaked out. Right. Um, look, Timber went down about four minutes into his Premier League debut. Um, or it was like a half halfway through. Um, but it was an excellent been four minutes. Since. It was a, it was the best four minutes it was I've incredible. ever seen. <laughs> it was. To be honest, I think uh, based on those four minutes, we can say that we were correct. He's the best signing of the year, and we're going to move on. Um, no, he's he's running at the moment. In uh, I believe. Arsenal were in Dubai, something somewhere similar. Um, and the fact he's running in the the beginning of January is considering he did his ACL in September. Pretty well. I don't know much about you know sports science, but people that do say so that's pretty incredible. Um, 
So we will wait to see if he can reclaim his title as best signing of the summer uh, when he comes back, is, which it looks like he will is do. Is there something to be said about a scouted curse here, considering that some of the young player standout picks were Carney Chukwameka and Julio Enciso, who also were injured pretty much two weeks into the season? And some of the picks well, for best signing of the season were Urien Timber and Harvey Barnes, who literally haven't kicked a ball since the lights were night. Uh, the nights were light. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it says more about us or just the state of football well, in general. Yeah. Um, we could do a whole hour on what the hell's going on with uh, schedules and people falling over constantly. Um, I don't really want to get into God, that. That'll be riveting. Because... Uh, I think, uh, yeah, well, I think I'd say a lot of things that I can't source properly. <laughs> so, um, I'll talk a bit about Harvey Barnes, Joe. What the hell's happened to him? I, I have no idea. I believe he's got a Lisfranc injury, which is in your foot, which... I don't know what now. Yeah, Google it. Because, um, again, I'm not a medical professional. Um, I'd love to be a medical professional. I'd earn a lot more. Um, the... Yeah, it's 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 something where you can leave it and you don't have to have surgery or you can have surgery and then you're out for like nine to 12 months. I, I can't remember. Patrick Bamford had it last season or one of the seasons before. Um, it's it's really problematic because it's such a, a difficult one to fix. Um, so he's just been out pretty much since September. Looked really good when he came in, but it has meant that, you know, the likes of Miguel Almiron has had to play it a lot more than um, than most people of a Newcastle persuasion would have liked. Uh, I, I am looking forward to having Harvey Barnes back, just because I I, I love his style. He's he's your textbook um, cut in onto a stronger foot, bend one into the bottom corner. I just think it's a really niche skill that a lot of players, you know, don't really have. Um, it's got the inverse iron robin. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, Anthony Gordon did a did a decent job of it this weekend. Um, but I can see the logic behind Jake picking him definitely because I think he suits yeah. um, the Howe style, at least the Howe Newcastle style, down to a T. Um, he's just been with most of his teammates on the, uh, on the medical table. Um, so the last one, Lou said Onana. I can't really think of a player who's been spoken more about this year than Andre Anana. Um, why? How? What the hell is wrong with him? Slash, right with him? Is he good? Stephen, tell me. Uh, I am not a goalkeeper expert, but uh, I feel like he's been like a generally above average goalkeeper for like most of his career, and. A high, much above average, like distributor from down uh, from uh, as a goalkeeper for his whole career. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if things kind of turned around for him. It's just been bad news in on every front at United this season. So you can kind of get into one of those ruts where just things go wrong. Um, and some of them are just like really, really bad mistakes that you just think no goalkeeper would make, and you wouldn't be surprised if he just didn't make one again for a few years. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be completely giving up on him yet. I think there's still, he's just, I don't know. He's just, he's just been, he's just been weird. Like he makes mistakes and he comes out and does these like interviews where he like takes responsibility for them. Um, 
which like some people like, some people don't like. I kind of respect it, but um, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to make sure that you don't keep making those mistakes. Which I still probably would have faith in him to to turn it around. Joe, any words? Uh, yeah, I, I think we should we should say I feel quite sorry for Fabrice Ondoa, the number two goalkeeper for Cameroon, because obviously Onana was playing in my United Spurs yesterday, and then he's gone straight out to, to Afcon, probably on a plane right now. Yeah, right? Um, and he's going to play. So, I mean, yeah, you probably feel a bit hard done by, like if you were Ondoa. And he has his history with the national team, right? He. Um had a bit of beef with the camp for, um, I believe because they wanted him to kick footballs longer than he wanted to. I think they just didn't um, want him to like sweep a keep like he does. And he said, if they yeah. won't let him play the way he wants to play, he's just not going to play. So he got kicked out of the national team. Definitely a character. Um, look, I've had a great time watching him for many reasons. Uh, mostly because I think it's funny when Manchester United concede funny goals. Um, but yeah, I still think he's, it's just a symptom of the general United, uh, malaise at the moment, probably. They really don't have a good, um, like he's, he, he's such a good long distributor, but they don't really have a great option to go to. Like hmm. you can't really kick it long and, and expect Hoyland to be holding it up at a Premier League level because like he's a big dude, but. Premier League centre-backs are way bigger than he is. Unless you're like finding mm. Rashford on the run out the back or something. Like it's just hard to get value out of that. So I think that's probably the the next next aspect is they're not able to maximise like the main strength that he brings. And if he shot stopping falls off a cliff like it kind of has this year compared to last year, then he just kind of looks like a slightly better version of De Gea. <laughs> Yeah, I remember the first half at the Emirates this year where Arsenal just let Onana have the ball for 45 minutes and he just passed it to the centre-backs and back over and over again in a triangle um, and nothing happened. They just couldn't progress through the middle. Um, but Kobe Minu's there now, who's particularly good at that stuff. So um, you would hope they begin to build some sort of progression, although... Judging on last night's uh, performance, maybe not. Um, right, so that was our best signings. And now we'll move on to our best value signings. So the cheaper boys who could make a big impact. I want to start by pointing out that Stephen copied my answer no, again. Yeah, okay. Um, so sometimes my knowledge and insight of global youth football is so overwhelming that I kind of rub off on everyone and they end up just plagiarizing me. Um, so I think that's happened here. You said Z Zeki Amduni to Burnley after I did. Um, can you defend yourself against these accusations, please? I'm not defending against any accusations, but all I'll say is I think it was a decent shout. Um, it's hard to get like high usage, young, really high level uh, attackers for, for cheap. They can come in and have an impact in the Premier League. And I think that Zeki's done a, a pretty good job this season. Um, he's not like the... I think he's going to struggle to score volume amounts like he did at, at Basel and and with Switzerland just because he's playing in a relegation-threatened Premier League team. 
but um, I think his ability to just be the most important player in their attack is he's done a pretty good job coming in as a, a younger player and, and fulfilling that role. So I don't think too much more could have been expected of him. Um, I just think Burnley are in a bit of a rut and probably just don't have enough like Premier League quality level players. Plus, uh, Luka Kolyosha was kind of getting on a bit of a heater. He got injured too. Um, so yeah, they're just in a bit of a, a tough spot, but I think he's done a pretty good job for a 20 mil signing. Yeah, so I, I chose this player because um, I've read something you wrote and I copied you. Um, Joe's an Amdouni stand as Lou, well. Joe, what do you what do you think of what have you okay, thought of him this season? I think he's done as well as anyone could have expected. Really, he's playing in a team which obviously don't dominate the ball or losing a lot of the time, but he's still managing to convert chances um, when he has played. And to be fair, there was that period earlier in the season where he was playing straight through the middle uh, instead of playing out wide, and but well, purely out of necessity. And I think he fared reasonably well, given that you know he's, I mean, he's a complete novice to this league. Um, yeah, I think you know, fair play. Um, not a, it's not really a great deal more that he can do to be honest because he's still as you say you know we were talking about Saka in his age it's important to remember Amduni's still very young as well um I think yeah so the, the fact the that he's like doing it and he's not he's not super athletic yeah so it's kind of like doing it a different way in the Premier League a lot of the times like the younger players will come in that are like athletic first and but he's coming into a team that's relegation threatened but he's not like super athletic but still been fairly decisive and had an impact Someone else who's had an impact, Milos Kerkez at Bournemouth. Um, that was Lou's pick. I'm going to let you boys speak on this. You I'm going to let Steve speak on this. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> Mexican he just, standoff over it. All right. He, he, he just does a lot. Like He's just an energizer bunny up and down, like just in everything. Um, and I think that kind of blends in with the the style that Irala wants so um i think it's a it was pretty always like a safe signing because when you got a player like that they're always in things they're going to give themselves a chance to impress all the time um he's really physical hard to beat 1v1 quick i think he just athletically athletically ticks a lot of boxes for a premier league team which is like always the hardest part for a young defender i think um so yeah, not not too much more. I think for for the fee, it's a a really good, really good, uh, really good bargain, and especially for a left back, which is often a really tough position to to find talent in. Um, I think they got a good one. He's definitely a scouted handbook graduate, isn't he? Um, I can't remember which edition he was in, but I very much remember working on his profile. Um. So chalk that up to another great scouted call. Happy days. I'd say in terms of um, in terms of like best value signings, and again, this is hindsight, but you know, you look at Anthony Alanga. Oh, here we go again. He's got what ten goal contributions this season for Forest, and he was what fifteen million pounds. Um, that's not bad. Uh, not Sandro Tonali. Uh, we'll gloss over that one. Um, uh, and we'll come on to that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, who else was there? I, I actually think the, the Mateo Kovacic signing was, um, was, I mean, it's obviously circumstances dependent, but you know, so you've done a good job there um, financially. Um, and there was somebody else. I'm just scrolling, scrolling past them all now. Um, who stuck out to me? Um, definitely not Romeo Lavia. Uh, to be fair, yeah, Amdouni's in there. I, th- I think probably in the within the top might w- would have been my top three. Um, and also, you know, David Raya. I know it's not a permanent transfer yet, but just I don't know. It seemed like that was that was one which everybody was kind of scratching their heads. Like, how have Arsenal been able to to pull this one off for such a meagre loan fee? Well, it is going to rise to what thirty-five million, something like that. Um, which I think there is there is talk about um, how that is impacting Arsenal's ability to kind of plan for future transfer windows because of you know amortization or however it's calculated these days. Um, but yes, I mean, uh, rise fee is obviously for the year. Not very much. Um, we'll move on to most improved player. Um, and this one's interesting because two answers are very similar. And one answer is very wrong. And another answer is very right for the wrong reasons. Uh, so, so the two similar ones. Jake said, Ewes Basuma. And Stephen, you said, any Spurs player. Um, this is where I let you talk about Angeball for 20 minutes. Well, yeah, I think this is just what Ange does. He's just a great, um, just develops players personally just so well. You think about like what people were thinking of Pedro Porro last year. Now he's playing at a really high level. Even someone like Basuma this season, he's just been so good. Um, Pat Matasar's come on uh, leaps and bounds. You know, basically plug and play any name you want. Like they just look really, really good this season. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So not, I think that, and that, and that kind of, I think if you're a Spurs fan, that gives you hope for like any signing that you're making. Um, that they're going to come in and and or like even like Destiny Udoji's come in, like just looks amazing. Um, so, so now Dragoshin's come in uh, in January. And me and me and Lou were talking about this in our um, Substack pod the other day that like he doesn't didn't quite strike me as a Ange style player. He's probably more of like an athletic defensive lockdown player than a um, you know ball playing centre back extraordinaire. But uh, I was saying at the, uh, in that pod that you know there's a lot of players at Celtic that you wouldn't have thought would be you know these short passing extraordinaire players but by you know after a year two years of working with Ange all of a sudden these guys that weren't really known for their ability to play in like a short passing quick ball movement team all of a sudden look like superstars so that kind of yeah it gives me hope that whoever Spurs sign like as soon as Ange gets a hold of them for three months six months nine months 12 months that they're just going to make such massive improvements um which I think for a team like Spurs, where you're not going to a- a- attract the high-end talent like a Liverpool or an Arsenal or a City, that's like such a huge, um, such a massively important uh, part of the role for him as coach. So, um, yeah, well, it kind of shows this season that like maybe 
there's uh, some problems defensively. They conceded a little bit too much, but I think like the foundations are pretty clear. I think for everyone compared to the last two or three seasons with Tottenham, that they're now a serious team. That I think even like a City or a Liverpool or a Arsenal, like they don't want to play Tottenham because they know like you know when the Ange swarm comes. Like there was the game I think against Brighton a few weeks ago with our four-one down. They scored and made it four-two, and it was in the 87th minute. But there was like always that sense like, oh my god, they're going to come back here. Like they're going to get they're going to make it four-four, and they like had like five really good chances in the last ten minutes or so to score that they could easily have done it. So there's like that inevitability that when Spurs come and when Ange comes properly, they are going to like be a serious, serious team. And um, you know, I don't, it's not going to come this year because City and Arsenal are a step ahead. They got more talent, but I think another transfer window or two, and, and Spurs are going to be right thereabouts. Uh, as loath as I am to allow any more discussion of um, this supposed Ange ball. Joe, do you have anything to add about um, our new Australian overlord? Yeah, I just like watching Spurs play, which I haven't done for quite some time. Um, I, I find myself just flicking on their games, even when there's not like a vested interest or like I've got one of their players in fancy football or whatever. Um, I, I, quite, I just quite like the... I, I also like Ange because he's he's a, he's, he comes across as like a real person. I feel like there's so much football speak in press conferences and, um, you know, everything is so stage managed. I, I just quite like that he comes across as somebody who has, you know, he, he he has had to work his way to where he is, but he has retained an element of humanity about him. Um, and also, I I, as say, I say, plays nice football. Uh, sorry. Sorry to jump in, but I found it so bizarre that it, like, it feels like the English press like really has it in for him. As an outside observer, I've just like found it incredibly strange. I think you'll always get. A, really? I think you'll always get an element of that um, from certain outlets because it disrupts the status quo. Um, it's 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 the other. It's it's not normal. It's not what people expect. Um, but I think most right-minded people would probably say that you know Ange is a breath of fresh air you know stylistically and also just just bring something different to the to the whole Premier League manager um soundbite cycle yeah I mean my Arsenal bias is obviously deep-rooted and very profound um and so I've seen a lot of kind of fawning over Ange and his demeanor and how he talks um so I guess there's two the two extremes and not a whole lot in between where people are talking about him neutrally um look if you hold a gun to my head I do like him um why are there so many guns to so many heads this week the, the art of prediction you can only do it under extreme duress I guess um I like listening to him speak. I like listening to Australians speak. That's why I've put up with Stephen for so long. Um, and I hope that he loses his job next month. That's what I'll say on that. Um, so that's our most improved players. Oh, I do want to just touch on mine. Um, <laughs> I put Deli Alley. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Uh, I believe what? he just done his. Yeah, I did. Well, most improved from zero. It's not, you know, it's not a crazy bar to reach. 
Um, I believe he'd just done his interview with Gary Neville and I was like, look, if this dude somehow turns up for Sean Dyche and he sticks him up front and he bangs in a couple of goals, it made me very happy. That's all I was saying. I wanted him to be the most improved player. Perhaps that's not the best way to approach predictions, but, um, you know, wear my heart on my sleeve. How about that? Has he um, actually not much for them more to say about him because he hasn't touched a pitch. So. Okay. I was going to say. <laughs> I don't think he has. No, I don't think he has either. God bless him. I hope he's doing well. Um, all right, boys, we're on to the final section. I'm sure everyone's relieved here. Um, it's just kind of a quick fire. Last couple of predictions. First manager to lose their job. I said Gary O'Neill. No. <laughs> Um, Jake said Marco Silva. No. Uh, Steve said David Moyes. Very much no. And Lou said Marco Silva. So um, not a great selection there. Not much to say. We're all wrong. Never listen to us. Um, yeah. I think we're kind of all going a bit like left field. We none of, none of us had like a, you know, anyone from newly promoted teams I feel like sometimes like you expect that the newly promoted teams are going to give their managers a bit of a leash but sometimes they can be pretty ruthless as well which was the the case this time around but there's probably been a bit less like movement in coaches than yeah. previous seasons as far as I can think it's just Paul Hackenbottom it has been surprising Cooper, isn't it you've yeah. gone yes I think so and obviously Luton have been uh, very patient with Gareth Edwards, which is great to see because I think everyone loves him. And to be fair, uh, the Rob expectation Edwards for Luton was Rob Edwards. Sorry, the expectation for Luton was to be in the relegation zone. So I think they're like outperforming what they expected themselves with what yeah. they're on right now. Tom, you said Gareth, Gareth Edwards. Edwards. I think you you were thinking Gareth Ainsworth. Oh, that, no, I was thinking Gareth Edwards, the filmmaker. Oh, that shows where my my brain is most of the time. Yeah, sorry everyone. Um, not sure how he'd do as a football manager, but maybe we'll find out one day. Um, next category is the disappointment of the season. This is a juicy one. And in particular, I would like Joe to talk about lose prediction, which is, for my money, dead on, but for completely the wrong yeah. reasons. Uh, he put Sandro Tonali. And his defense was that people in England didn't quite understand who Tenali was as a player. I think they expected a you know Pirlo to come in, um, and instead we've got um, I don't want to make a derogatory joke about his ban, uh, but it's not gone well. No, it hasn't. Joseph, please talk it hasn't. about Sandro Tenali. You know, I think you're completely right in saying that. I think a lot of people had. Um, quite considerable misconceptions about what type of player Tonali is. Um, and a lot of that is definitely driven by aesthetics and driven by, you know, media sources um, suggesting that and, 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 and pushing that narrative. I, I mean, yeah, I think that I've had this put to me several times. AC Milan definitely saw Newcastle coming in those transfer negotiations, um, they saw a team willing to bid 50 plus million for a player that probably wasn't even the best midfielder in their, in their team. 
um, that obviously got to the Champions League semis. I, I mean, it's it's hard to judge how in in terms of a, as a player, it's hard to judge because he's barely played because the the whole gambling stuff came out pretty quickly um, after he moved. Um, so yeah, it's a disappointment. It all started so well, didn't it? Against Villa, he was yeah. kind of all action, high energy, crashing the box. He scored, scored, scored at least once that day, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, um, and almost got a second. Um, so, do you think when he's back and when people kind of settle into understanding the player he is and not the player that they want him to be, how do you think he fits into? the ideal Eddie Howe Newcastle team. Well, I think a lot of people saw him coming in and sitting at this as, as a six at the base, but I don't see him being good enough as a single pivot to do that. So that means you've probably mm-hmm. got to play him as the eight, uh, probably on the right-hand side with Joe Linton as the left-sided eight. But then you've got to factor in like, okay, well, what do you do with Sean Longstaff, who when he is out of the team, there is quite a noticeable difference in terms of the, the legs that, that midfield has. Um, what do you do with Bruno? Because Bruno, as an eight, is is fantastic. You know, he's always threading those balls through. Um, but if you put him at six, you don't get him as, as far up the pitch. I know you can do stuff like the assist for uh, Alexander Isak against Man City at the weekend from a deeper position. But I feel like you do lose something. Um, I don't know how Eddie, Eddie Howe will plan how to use him. I don't know what the... I mean, there will have been a plan when they brought in Tonali because... You know, you don't spend that amount of money on somebody when you're already under, you know, the the microscope with FFP. To, you know, to to not to have a, you know, just to have a have a player. You 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 have a um a real plan and a structure of how you how he's going to fit into that midfield. I d- I don't quite know what what the plan will be, and I don't quite know what midfield he'll be playing in personnel wise when he comes back next season because that's when his ban is up it's in, it's in august um so he's basically he's he's a, he's a write off for the for the rest of this season um at a time when newcastle could really do with more bodies so yeah disappointment is definitely yeah, up there's there. one i think if there's one thing i've learned from our youtube comments and such it's that lewis miley is the best number eight on the planet currently and maybe ever yeah um so it's really difficult to see 50 million pounds Sandra tonight getting back in the team and i think they should sell him um, that would be one hell of a loss and that would be great against the accounts because newcastle just released their accounts and they made a 70 million loss so i don't think they're going to be doing that because book value is probably somewhere less than uh 50 50 odd 55 million steven your disappointment of the season was Chelsea. <laughs> Just generally Chelsea. Couldn't see that one coming. And I don't know how was I wrong? Was <laughs> no. I wrong? I was not. I don't know how much more we can have you talk about Chelsea slash write about Chelsea, whatever. I'll have a go. Um, you got any more juice left in the tank? Uh go on, hit them. Well as I wrote in the in the in the piece, uh I think it was like the goals was just gonna be a big problem. And I think that's kind of turned into a reality where it was in Kunku had already um, been injured by that point. So we knew he was going to be out for a while. And I just looked at the team and went, um, who is actually scoring in, in this team? I, I think I went through their starting 11 for one of their games. And I think the highest, the, 
the most got like career goals in the team was Thiago Silva. Um, so instantly in my brain, I'm just going like, you could like have all the talent in the world, but like if you don't have some sort of like baseline anywhere in your team of players that are like scoring at senior level, like it's just hard to find the goals at a Premier League level. And so when you've got a player that can do it consistently, like that's why strikers are worth so much money. Um, so yeah, like I saw all these young players and like, they just don't have games and goals under their belt. And I'm thinking this is going to be difficult. And it has been when teams sit deep against them and, and suffocate spaces, like they just don't look like they're ever going to score. Even like, even against Fulham on the weekend, apart from the penalty that they got, like they just did not look really too often, like creating too much and Fulham were going up the other end and getting a couple of good looks themselves. So, um, even like Raheem Sterling started the season pretty well, but he's not been as good lately. There's just so many issues. I think they've spent so much money um, that you just expect to see more. Like it, it sounds like basic, but that's kind of the reality. They got like a 300 million pound midfield that, you know, just looks okay, but doesn't look like it's going to dominate Premier League games. Um, so yeah, like just, it's kind of hard to see where they dig themselves out, like out of the rut. Do they have 120 mil to go get Victor Ossiman and and see if that can can turn things around for them? Um, probably. Will that get them into FFP trouble? Who knows? It's just like this is what I kind of feared when not that I really care about Chelsea that much, but like when I first saw this project starting, it's like it's like just two FM. Like you, there's just no guarantees on play development like there is in a game like FM where you just loan them out somewhere, they get better, you bring them back, you sell them, you make 100 million and you just move on with your life. Um, you know, they've loaned poorly. Uh, the players that they've got with high potential that are within their team are getting like sporadic minutes. Mudrick, again, like a player that probably just needs a good solid run of games. You're kind of in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, like the only one, which is the hilarious in all of this, is like the one that's performing the best is Colwell. The guys just come out of their academy and they haven't had to spend 500 trillion pounds on. Um, so maybe it's a bit of a lesson that, you know, just investing in your academy can can be enough. They've done so much in the last, you know, five, six years at that level that maybe they didn't need this influx of, of um, foreign young talent that is just going to be hard for them to, to develop internally. So hard to see them turning it around like super swift, uh, swiftly unless they get like a Ossiman level player in, in January. And I think it's going to be tough ride out to the to the end of the season and who knows where they'll go from there yeah it is bizarre considering just how good Chelsea's academy has been over the past half a decade or so I think quite comfortably they've been the dominant English side at that level for a long time um we can't go into that because we're already running very long and uh we could go on forever um I'm going to make my, fun of myself a bit here. My disappointment of the season was Bournemouth. Uh, but I clarified it by saying, I think that it would take them a while to get up to speed with what Iriola wanted to do. Obviously, we know he likes a very high and intense press. And I thought, like, these guys are not going to be up for that from the get-go. They're going to have to do a lot of work in the gym and, and get up to speed. And look, not to uh, toot my own horn, too hard, but I think I was correct, um, as usual. 
but I did say they're upper bottom half, and I think there is every chance that they actually finish top half this season. Although, I don't know, they'd have to kick Newcastle out, so, you know, see how that goes. Um, final category, guys, our bold prediction. Uh, I've been told I'm not allowed to swear, so I said Kai Havertz will be expletive incredible. Um, I think that was more a <laughs> hopeful punt than anything. Um, he's been all right. I think he's you know slowly getting up to speed. Just the biggest um, nearly player of all time, like in every sense of yeah, the word. like with like the like the positions and like moments that he has. He could have had like an amazing season if he just got the action right, but he just often doesn't. Which is kind of the story of his reminds me a bit of. Um, Reminds me a little bit of the kind of Nicholas Jackson situation, to be honest, in that it's the decisive kind of yeah. ball strikey moments that he just, his passing is so in the, you know, the really important passes he seems to always get wrong. He fluffs a ton of shots, um, does kind of ballet moves more often than actual, you know, strikes the ball well. Um, but I do love him. And I think he brings something very different to Arsenal that we haven't had in a long time. And uh, obviously, I very much hope that he continues to improve because I don't think his tra- trajectory has been very positive. Um, Jake and Steve, you both predicted good things for Bournemouth. So Steve, you said top half, and Jake said mini Brighton. Um, so I guess he means in the sense that they overachieve comparative to their budget um we've spoken a bit about Bournemouth and Iriola I guess but um I think top half what do you think about top half chances now well now that they're on a bit of a run like could potentially see it happening um fair bit would have to probably go right but what are they outside the top 10 like six points or something um like it is four points four points to Newcastle well considering that they like after 10 games were like borderline relegation zone. What do they want? Four of their last five. They're not really, yeah. you know, that far away. And you could easily see like Chelsea or Newcastle, United, West Ham kind of dropping off and them getting close to that, that top half finish. So I'll stand by it. And our final prediction, lose bold prediction was a 20 20- goal plus goal scorer from nowhere so the example he put was Taiwo Awanyi uh, obviously that's not panned out but I think the closest thing we probably have to that is Don Solanke who we talked about yeah. earlier um, just kind of exploded out of nowhere um, odds on him getting 20 it's pretty good probably he's 12 12 so far how many games 18 games to go 19 games go for Bournemouth, so... Yeah, between, between him or, or Huang. Yes, him or Huang, definitely. Um, all right, that's it. That's how we predicted the league. Uh, you can decide how wrong and stupid we were. Um, in my case, very. In others' case, not so much. Uh... All I want to shout out really at the end is that we've got, hopefully if this goes out today, which will depend on my ability to learn how to edit a podcast really quickly, 
Um, right now, we've got a story that went up on Scattered Notebook that's free to read and very topical. So obviously, the African Cup of Nations started on Friday, and uh, our friend Ben wrote a great story on the story of Mali and how one Frenchman has kind of revolutionized the football and culture in the country after doing it for many years in the Ivory Coast. Um, so if you want to read that, that's free to read. Highly recommend it. I think it's a great piece of writing. And uh, yeah, we will watch Mali's um, tournament with great interest. Boys, anything to add before we sign off? No, thank you all for your time. Uh, yeah, go subscribe to the Substack. Again, there's heaps more uh, play profiles and the like going up uh, next week. I should also have a piece comparing uh, different World Cup levels and uh, some statistical trends from the senior under-20 and under-17 World Cups. So lots of uh, lots of stuff going up this month. So it's a good time to, to go sign up and do some light reading. We've also got a very exciting, exclusive interview going out this week that Phil and I did just before Christmas um, with one of our favorite players at the moment. So uh, if you want to get that as soon as it drops, please go and put your email into scatterednotebook.com. It's free, unless it isn't. <laughs> In which case, give us money, please. Thank you. All right, Joe Donahue, thank you for spending your Monday morning with me. Hey, a pleasure. A pleasure as always. Stephen, thank you. Until next time. Which will be next Monday, hopefully. Unless I'm still editing this podcast at that point, which is a possibility. All right. Goodbye. <laughs>